been talking for uh, for several weeks now uh, about uh, uh, food of sorts. I'm, many of you said that uh, this has not been good for you, and you've walked away hungry every day. You can't hardly make it through the sermon because you're just thinking. Of, now you're thinking about fig newtons. We probably should have handed out sleeves of fig newtons this morning, but. Um, uh, this is this series is all about uh, a dinner with Jesus, focusing on times in the Bible when Jesus gathered around a meal with people, and it happened more than uh, more than you might think. Probably, uh, we, we don't really even think about it because food is just kind of a natural part of life, right? And we have uh, we 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 need to eat in order to live, and so we we have. A meal, and so it would be natural for Jesus to do that, uh, and he did that many, many times in the in the scriptures. Um, it, it wasn't about the food, though, for Jesus, right? It, it was it, it was it was about the connection uh, with us. Usually, a meal is tends to be more about the food, maybe, than it should be. Uh, we focus on on eating the right food or not eating the right food or uh, having uh, the food prepared in just the right ways and we watch it on TV and we find out new recipes and all those kinds of things. You can either, even, I've never done this, maybe you have, you can even uh, subscribe to these uh, mail order things where the prepared food comes in the mail and it gives you, it has it all measured out already and you can pretend you're a big old chef and uh, I guess you are a big old chef, but they've measured it all out for you, tells you step by step, and you eat this wonderful meal of food that you probably never would have eaten before, uh, and, and you, can, you can subscribe to that. I mean, it's, it's always about the food for us. Uh, I, I mean, food is a huge deal, and I'm sure that Jesus had his favorite foods and preferred one thing over another, but it wasn't about the food, it was, it was about the fellowship. And, and we're going to see that clearly as we, as we go over to Martha and Mary's place to uh, to have dinner with Jesus this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 10, uh, just a few verses. Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 to 42. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning, and it says it this way. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha helped him, uh, welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing she came to Jesus and said Lord doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work tell her to come and help me but the Lord said to her Martha Martha you are worried and upset over all these details but there is only one thing worth being concerned about Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her just those few verses, the story of Jesus in this home with Martha and Mary. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling across the uh, the, the often unforgiving Middle Eastern landscape. Uh, they they had uh, they had been it's it's uh, if if you look at the scholars they say it's probably autumn about this time fall and it's it's dusty and it's windy and it's probably getting chilly and and they just come through Samaria where they had encountered some problems and some opposition and so Jesus had tried to go into at least one village and 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 they were turned away and said no we don't we don't want your kind here um so they, uh, they, they, this is, the, the, Jesus knew what laid in store. It says, uh, previous to this that, that Jesus was resolutely, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what's coming in Jerusalem. He knows that, uh, literally in just a few months, probably five or six months from this, this story, he will be crucified. And so Jesus is, is, is on his way there and he's in count, all this is going on in his, in his, uh, in his, in his mind and, and, and in his heart. I mean, and there's difficult days physically. 
uh, as they traveled across uh, the, the, the wilderness and, and uh, fought the elements. It's difficult emotionally because Jesus knows what's coming. It's difficult spiritually as he's trying to teach the people around him uh, all the great truths of the kingdom of God before he goes away. And so as he nears Jerusalem, he stops in this city just a couple of miles from Jerusalem, this little town called Bethany. And it, it appears that it probably wasn't Jesus' first stop to this home. Uh, it appears that they already have a, a relationship uh, with, uh, with Martha and Mary. And it's understood, we find out later, that Lazarus is, uh, is their brother as well. And so, uh, so Jesus seems to be excited. The disciples, they seem to be excited to be welcomed into, into uh, this home. Uh, this is probably a rare treat for them. They've been, they've been, uh, camping out, no doubt, under the stars many nights. And so to, uh, to get off the road for a, a day or two even was probably a rare treat to, to have a home cooked meal, uh, to have a roof over their heads, all those kinds of things. They're no doubt weary and dirty and, uh, and, and just ready for, for time, uh, with, with people in this, uh, in this great environment. We know a little bit uh, about Martha and about Mary, and uh, they seem to be opposites in many ways. And that's important to, to note as we, as we look at this story. Martha's the oldest. Uh, she's in charge. It's her house. It's a, it, it refers to this as her home. Um, I, I think we can assume that this is probably the sister that is, uh, that is up before the chickens, and she's taking care of the household chores, and she's the first to the market, and she haggles to get the best price, and she probably at times, she just gets straight to the point. Uh, perhaps maybe uh, a little bit, well, maybe she's uh, considered rude a little bit, but she gets things done, and, and she gets them done well, and everything's clean, and everything's in order, and, uh, and, and everything's done with excellence. Mary, on the other hand, probably was the one to get up a little later, and she'd sometimes go to the market with her sister, but usually not. She didn't like to haggle. She could cook, but uh, wasn't all that neat about it, and and probably didn't always clean up afterwards. And it wasn't necessarily that she that she intentionally uh, left a mess. She just probably didn't see it. We'd probably call her a free spirit today. We might call Martha Type A, right? So, so these are the this is the uh, this is the the context, the dynamics of this home that Jesus and his disciples stepped into on that autumn afternoon. And and so they did, and they were welcomed in. And then Martha got to work, right? And so after, after all the greetings and the hugs and everything, uh, it, is, it appears that Mary was uh, no doubt the one who, uh, who was going to welcome their guests and wash their feet, the, wash the, the road off their feet uh, uh, literally and figuratively and, and care for them in, in some way. And so she, when she got to Jesus' feet, it appears that she just stayed there as he began to talk and she listened Martha got busy prepping for the for the big meal because this was a big deal. They'd be getting uh, the good food together, the stuff that they'd set aside for a special occasion because Jesus was in town. And so Jesus was a special occasion. And so she was uh, whipping up a, a great meal, uh, probably listening uh, uh, from the other room to Jesus as he began sharing about what they'd been doing and where they'd come from and where they were heading and, and speaking and teaching and, and the things that Jesus did. And, and she probably got the fire heating up and, and she rounded up the pots and the other things that she'd need to prepare the food and, and, and then maybe she started mixing the dough and, and the busier she got, the more concentrated she was on the meal and the less concentrated she was on what was happening in the other room. And as she began to concentrate on the meal and all the preparations, she began to get irritated because it certainly appeared that Mary had no plans to come in and help with all this and all this had to be done. 
And so I, I guess I picture her, uh, you know, wrestling with the dough and hitting it a, a little harder every time. You know what I mean? And maybe wrestling. And Mary, I can't believe it. Why wouldn't Jesus tell her to, and I can't, and there's, and it's probably the toughest, uh, toughest, uh, loaf of bread she'd ever made, right? Cause she's beaten it up. Uh, it, it, We'll be here till midnight if, uh, if I, if I don't get any help around here. And maybe about that point, she slams that bread down and she goes in the other room and she decides there's something, she needs to do something about this. She, she gives her anger voice as she speaks up, both directed both at Jesus and at Mary. And she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Maybe it was, tell her to come and help me. Maybe it was a little whiny. I don't know. But, but there, there's this, there's this uh, two-barreled shotgun, uh, one accusing Jesus of not caring about her, and the second aimed at Mary and her laziness. Probably not the first time Martha had had this problem with her sister. So she's, uh, Martha's irritated. She's annoyed. She feels justified in her anger because uh, she saw the things that she saw as top priorities were not getting done. And so she was serving Jesus. This, this, was, this was part of her service, part of her worship to Jesus. She was serving him, doing the best that she could to get this prepared. Uh, uh, her motives, it appears, were in the right place. But it's, it's ironic because as she stormed into the room, she accused Mary of misplaced priorities. She'd soon discover that it was her own priorities that were misplaced. So Jesus, as we see him do over and over again, he's compassionate with Martha's plea, but he's calling her to something better. Martha, Martha, he says. We see this, this uh, tender double name thing several times. Jesus uses that several times in Scripture as he draws up alongside someone but calls them to something better. I... I, I I see where you're at. I care about you where you are, but there's something better. He, uh, he sees it directed to the people of Jerusalem. In, uh, in Matthew 23, he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed for you. And, and he, uh, he weeps about what's going to happen to the people uh, and, and the ways that they've been pushing him away. In Luke 22:31, he, uh, he speaks to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And this is right before uh, uh, when he's telling uh, Peter about uh, his denial that is to come. Even uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, uh, Jesus appears to him, the blinding light, and Saul's on the ground and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's that same uh, sense of, of uh, in all those things, and, and we come back to this, Martha, Martha, mm, you, you don't get it. Uh, you have all these things distracting you, but only one thing is needed. We don't have any account of the rest, how the rest of dinner went, or the rest of this evening went, or how long they even stayed there. We, it, it just stops right there. It's probably a stretch to even include this in a series called Dinner with Jesus, because they never have dinner, right? We, it ends before dinner's even made. So, but uh, uh, we, we don't know if, if, if Mary ever helped or if Martha just decided to get out the cold cuts instead, or uh, what happened with all of that. From other times, when we see this family in Scripture, we see that, uh, that, that they were on good terms with Jesus, and so no doubt things got worked out. But, but I think there are several things that we can take away from this cautionary tale of Jesus uh, with, with, with Martha. 
I think this is the crux of the matter right here, and that is don't get so busy doing work for Jesus that you miss hearing from Jesus. Don't get so busy doing work for Jesus that you miss hearing from Jesus. Author Ken Geyer, uh, I love his writing, and uh, he has several devotional books from years gone by. Uh, he, he's writing about this story and talking about the, the setting there, and, and he says this, something eternal is in the making, but it's not in the kitchen. What's cooking in the kitchen will be gone in a meal. It's what's being prepared in the other room that will go on forever. Don't be so busy doing work for Jesus that you miss hearing from Jesus. Because it's, it's about the fellowship, it's not about the food. It, it's what we've been saying literally through this whole series. Jesus gathered at meals with people not because he was hungry, uh, although, or, or it wasn't that he heard that the mutton would melt in your mouth at that place, so I'm going there. Uh, he, he gathered around meals so that he would connect with people. So there would be fellowship. He came to dinner for fellowship with others. Uh, of course, they needed to eat that night. Of course, they were tired and hungry and, and they had some rough days on the road and a meal would hit the spot. But more than that, Jesus knew he needed to connect with his friends. And, and Martha, as I said, Martha's motives were pure. She wasn't sinning by preparing a big meal. She simply wanted to do her best for Jesus, but she got distracted. She got distracted by good things. I remember uh, reading the, the comics page, the funny paper, as we called it, especially on Sundays growing up, the big Sunday, and it's the color. Maybe they still do that. I, we don't get the Sunday paper anymore. Uh, family Circus. You ever seen Family Circus in the paper? A couple of you. Okay, good. Well, uh, I, re- I always re- could uh, relate to Billy, uh, who always seemed to get a little bit distracted. I found this one. Go ahead, David, with, with that. Um, I don't know if you can see it or not. Billy's with his family at... at uh, uh, a restaurant, and he says, I'm going to go uh, go to the men's room while we're waiting. But instead of just going to the men's room, you follow the dotted line, and it, it, sometimes it's kind of hard to follow the dotted line. He checks out the desserts, he goes over and ta- watches people while they eat their donuts, he slides down the railing, he goes back and slides down again, he plays a video game, he gets in the bathroom, he does his business, he comes back out, he studies a cactus garden, plays in the sandbox, goes back up, uh, helps the busboy pick up the broken plate, reads the Sunday comics, which is probably read Family Circus, uh, shortcut through an empty booth back over, and by the time he gets to the end, everybody else has eaten and his pancakes are cold. I could relate. My mother probably could relate to that. Uh, that's kind of how I uh, lived life uh, back in the day. He got distracted by all the important, from the important thing by all the little stuff, right? That might be a picture of, uh, of Martha here in this story. It might be a picture of our spiritual lives, if we're not careful. We can end up majoring on the minors, and we miss out on God's best. He wants fellowship. He wants to connect with us, and we get distracted. Ann Croker wrote these words, uh, America, the land of the high-achieving, multitasking speedaholics. We're in perpetual motion, never resting and never quite satisfied. American families are sucked into a vortex of activities and obligations. We pile on appointments, lessons, practices, games, performances at clubs, and then shovel in fast food. Western civilization's high-speed, fast-paced, goal-oriented life has propelled us into a state of minivan mania. I can relate to that. Still driving a minivan. Not proud of it, but I have to be honest. Just being transparent with you. We got our first minivan when I was a youth pastor, and our youth group called me Soccer Mom. So that was, that was nice. 
We get sucked into this. We're, we're busy all the time. Uh, John Ortberg has written about his uh, a time when he asked his longtime mentor, Dallas Willard, about what he should do. Uh, he was in a dry spell spiritually, and he said, what do I do? And, and Dallas Willard over the, over the phone tells him, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Well, John Ortberg says that he waited a minute to see what other sage advice this guy might have for him because because that just seemed, uh, okay, well, that's one thing. Uh, Okay, got it. Now tell me what's next. And he finally said, well, what else is there? And Dallas Willard responded, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. As he reflected on that advice, John Ortberg later wrote these words, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Distracted, rushed, preoccupied. Sounds a lot like Martha. Present company excluded, of course. Sounds a lot like me. Jesus is much more interested in fellowship than he is in food when we gather for dinner with Jesus. Don't get so busy doing work for Jesus that you miss hearing from Jesus. It's about being, it's not about doing. Uh, We are human beings, right? But we live life many times like we're human doings, not human beings. Many times we, we get our worth from when we accomplish things or or when we get things done and we we tend to complain about uh the being busy and getting all these things done but yet we secretly enjoy the the urgent pace of life many times Stephen Covey uh wrote in his book First Things First some of us get so used to the adrenaline rush of handling crises that we become dependent on it for a sense of excitement and energy how does urgency feel Stressful, pressured, tense, exhausting, sure, but let's be honest, it's also sometimes exhilarating. We feel useful, we feel successful, we feel validated, we get good at it. Whenever there's trouble, we ride into town, pull out the six-shooter, do the varmint in, blow the smoke off the gun barrel, and ride off into the sunset like a hero. It brings instant results and instant gratification. We get a temporary high from solving urgent and important crises. Then when the importance isn't there, the urgency fix is so powerful that we are drawn to do anything urgent just to stay in motion. People expect us to be busy and overworked. It's become a status symbol in our society. If we're busy, we're important. If we're not busy, we're almost embarrassed to admit it. Busyness is where we get our security. It's validating, popular, and pleasing. And it's also a good excuse for not dealing with the first things in our lives. We're human doings instead of human beings. We identify ourselves by what we do, right? You, you meet someone and uh, you're talking and usually within the first uh, two or three minutes, uh, the, the, the question is, well, what do you do? And we don't answer it with what we do. Usually we answer it with, oh, I am a, and we answer it with w- what we are, but it's really what we do. I, I remember years ago, Nick was, uh, uh, well, I guess my grandpa would have called him a little shaver, right? He's just, just little. Uh, he's not a little shaver anymore, right? He melted my heart one day when he said, Dad, I want to I wanna be just like you when, you when I grow up. I want to do what you do. Well, tell me about that, son, as I'm weeping and proud all at the same time. And he said, yeah, Dad, I want to be an officer. Uh, officer? I'm, 
I'm a, I'm a pastor, son. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I, I, I want to be an officer. I want to have an office just like you. I want to be an officer. So now at parties, when I shake hands with someone, they say, what do you do? Oh, I'm an officer. I don't really do that. I'm sorry. But. No, I can have an office, and I can do all the stuff you do in offices, but that's not the point, right? I mean, there's a, the, the, you, can, you only have an office to support the real work that's being done, right? There's a, there's a big difference between a church office and a lawyer's office and an accountant's office and a principal's office and, uh, and a doctor's office. Uh, you just fill in the blank. They, they, they might all include some of the same exact activities, right? You're, you're, you're filing and your phone calls, and, and you're, you're, there's meetings and there's emails. And and there's copies to be made, and there's computer work, and all those kinds. They might be doing many of the same activities, but they have vastly different purposes. It's not about the doing, it's about the being. Don't get distracted by doing that you miss out on being. Don't get so caught up in doing work for Jesus that you miss hearing from Jesus. It's all about connection, not just being close by. Mary seems to have figured something out. We see Mary three times in Scripture. Three different times we see Mary, Martha's sister, Lazarus' sister. We see her three different stories, three different times in in the Gospels. Every time she is in the exact same place at Jesus' feet. So we see her here where she's she's in the living room there and and hanging out with, with Jesus, listening at Jesus' feet. There's a story of Lazarus. When Lazarus dies, Jesus shows up late. Mary goes out to meet him and falls at Jesus' feet. Later on, not much later after that, uh, they're having a meal again at, uh, at Lazarus and, and Martha and Mary's house. And Mary comes out and, and gets at Jesus' feet and pours perfume on, on his feet, anointing him, honoring him for who he is, worshiping him, and also preparing him for his burial. Mary was always at Jesus' feet. It's a place of humility. It's a, it's a place of reverence, a place of worship, a place of teachability, learning. Jesus said, Martha, only one thing is needed. There's only one thing being wor- uh, worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it. There's, um, there's some scholars who have put forth that that when Jesus said only one thing is needed, when he's talking to Martha, Martha's been in there preparing all this stuff, and she comes out, and why don't you tell her to help me? And, and he says, Martha, only one thing is needed. Some, some scholars have said that, that Jesus may have been saying, you know what, we, we only need one dish for the meal. Uh, we don't need all this stuff that, that, that you're making. You don't need to go to all this kind of trouble. Just only one thing is needed. Uh, most scholars don't agree with that because it appears that, that Jesus is going a whole lot deeper than what's for dinner that night. The one thing that Mary had discovered was the priority of connecting with Jesus. Martha, because of her preoccupation, was right there. She was close by. She was in the same house with Jesus, but she was missing the whole thing. She wasn't connecting with him. And you and I can gather week after week, year after year, at church, we can serve in ministry, we can do all sorts of great things, we can miss that connection with Jesus in the midst of it. It's not that being in church is, is wrong or serving in ministry is off base, we need to be doing those things, but, but we can't miss out on why we're doing those things, because we're doing them in order to connect with Jesus, and that's so much more important than just being close by. Don't get so caught up doing work for Jesus that you miss hearing from Jesus.
You see the difference, right? Well, I can uh, read this story and I can even think about it and say, yeah, I need to do that. But, but I have to ask myself, well, what does that mean today? What, what would that mean if I was to live out this this week? Practically speaking, what does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? I mean, he's not going to be in the recliner while we're fixing dinner today. So, uh, uh, physically, right? So, so I'm not just going to go sit at the uh, base of the recliner and and hope that I hear something from Jesus, right? Well, what practically does it mean? What would it look like to be more like Mary and less like Martha in our lives in 2007? Again, present company excluded. Sorry, Martha. We want to be like you, Martha. When we grow up, when I grow up, I want to be. A couple of things, and there's a lot. One is that we have to be diligent about fighting distractions. We have to be aware of the distractions and then push back against them. Hebrews 12, 2 talks a little bit about this. It tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. So it's the same same uh, general message that, that we need to draw near to Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to focus in on who he is. Uh, and it says in order to do that, we throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's not just the sin, but it could be sin. So we've got to be aware of those things in our lives. We need to get rid of the things in our lives that don't please Jesus. We won't be focused on listening to him if we're insisting on sinning instead. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles, the sin that so easily distracts. Fight the distractions, and that means fight against sin. But it doesn't just mean fight against sin. You might say, well, I'm not... Uh, you know, I, I feel like everything's up to date between, between me and Jesus. I mean, everything's good. I don't think I'm actively uh, sinning against him, uh, but there's still more work we can do here because we need to recognize the things that distract us. It might be like Billy running through the, the restaurant. It might be something else. We need to identify the things in our lives that are distractions for us. And that's, that's going to be different for every single person here. You might be distracted from something that's, that's completely different than what I'm distracted from, that's completely different from what someone else is distracted. But, but you need to know yourself enough. You need to spend the quiet time with you and Jesus to, 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 to know yourself enough to know what distracts you, to know what pulls you away, to know what, uh, that's what, that's what the, uh, the uh, uh, spiritual discipline of fasting is all about. Uh, we talk about food, and food is such a big deal, and, and, and it's always been a big deal. And, and because humanity has a sense of, of, of making food a big deal, uh, fasting has, has been around for centuries. Fasting means I'm going to say no for a little while. And, and one big thing that happens, other than getting really, really hungry, one of the big things that happens when you fast is that you recognize the priority that food has had on you. And you begin to recognize where it needs, the priority where it needs to be. And we can fast from a whole lot of things, not just food. And so, so maybe it's technology and you're always on your phone and you're always doing, and always, well, maybe you need to fast from that for a while. Those of you that are on your phone, look up here for, I'm just kidding. <laughs> look at the things that may be pulling you away and then say no to those things for a season. Or just know yourself enough to know, okay, this is too much, and during these times of the day, I'm not going to do this, or I'm, I'm going to pull away from that. And, and, and so know what distract. I guess it comes back to that line from Dallas Willard, and it echoes in my head all the time, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. What does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet, fight distractions, 
actively, proactively fight, distract, fight for your relationship. The next thing, not only are we pushing away the things that distract, but we really have to listen. You've got to listen. You, you, you've got to, uh, not, not just in close proximity, not just close by, but you've got to, got to connect. You've got to listen. Well, how do we listen? Again, Jesus isn't going to be physically in the recliner while we're fixing dinner today. How do I listen? Well, I guess the best thing that comes to my mind is put yourself in environments where Jesus is speaking. Come to church. Be involved in a group, as we saw in the, uh, the, the, the video during the offering. Uh, spend time in, in God's word. Uh, Personally, Jesus is always speaking. Where is he always speaking primarily? In the Bible. If we're not opening the Bible, we will not hear him. And if this 25, okay, pastor, who are you kidding? 45 minutes on a Sunday morning is the only time when you're really looking into the Bible, there's got to be more. Put yourself in environments where Jesus is speaking. How are you going to hear from Jesus? You've got to go where he's speaking. You've got you to draw near to him. You've got to listen. That happens personally and privately in your own private time with him as you spend time with God's word and as you pray and as you, as you, as you sense his spirit. It, it happens in a service like this as we sing and as we pray and as we read scripture and as we study together. It happens in a, in a Sunday school class or a, a growth group. We've got to be there. You're not going, if, if you're not here, you won't hear. See what I did there? Isn't that, isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, just kidding. Kind of cheesy, probably. But uh, if, if you're not around in places where Jesus is speaking, you won't hear Jesus speaking. I think it, maybe that's so simplistic, it doesn't even need to be said, but I, I think it needs to be said. If you're not fighting for that personal time with God, you won't connect with him. And no one else can do this for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. Your spouse cannot do it for you. Your parents cannot do it for you. This is a a, a personal thing. It's a behind-the-scenes, foundational, spiritual stuff where you make the decision, I am going to spend time listening to Jesus. I'm going to get rid of the distraction. I'm going to turn that off. I'm going to go in here. I'm going to shut that door. I'm not going to answer that. uh, Spend time listening, connecting, being not just doing. Don't get so caught up doing work for Jesus that you miss hearing from Jesus. At your core, at the very heart of who you are, your first and most important priority must be connecting with Jesus. Nothing else matters more. Martha thought the dinner mattered more. Good stuff. Probably a great meal in the works didn't matter as much as listening to Jesus. For every one of us, it's, it's going to be something different that, that might come in the way, that might distract, that might pull us apart. Nothing, nothing else matters more than your spiritual life and your connection with Jesus. And if right now there is something that does matter more to you, got to get it right. You, you, you got to change it. You, you, you got to do something about that because nothing else matters more than your connection with Jesus. Father God, thank you that you care enough about us that you want to be with us, that you have plans for us, that, that, that you desire the best for us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to get our priorities together, that you will speak to us personally, deeply personally, each one of us, and that you'll help us to be on track with you and to, to, uh, to focus in on what's most important.
Help us, Lord, this week as the distractions come, and we know they will. Help us to recognize that our our sole focus must be to connect with you, to worship you, to uh, to have that foundation of a of a relationship with you that's that's close and personal and intimate and and makes all the difference in everything that we face. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, that it would be obvious in the places where we go that your spirit is living in us and through us. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us each day to grow closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.